0: Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 4 is what we're going to look at this morning. So, if you would just turn there and look at that with me. This past winter, we had another Winter Olympics. And uh, one of the figures, as they always do, they do those stories about just people who have had impact in the Olympics. And one of those figures was uh, Dan Jansen. And you might remember him, he was an Olympic gold medal, medal speed skater. But you also might remember that he was also the man whose sister died of leukemia just before the 1988 Winter Olympics in Calgary. He had desperately wanted to win the medal for his sister in that Olympics, but uh, he failed in those games. And so four years later, he comes back in 1992 in Little Homer, or actually in Albertaville, France, and he again comes away empty, doesn't win a gold medal. And then four years later, though, he comes to Littlehammer in Norway. And he won uh, the gold medal in the 1,000 meters and actually set the world record. It was a very emotional moment for him. And, of course, uh, he, he skates the, the victory lap and he's holding up his child who is just nine months old. And his, his, it's a daughter. And her, her name was Jan, just as his sister's name was. And after the Olympics... Jansen was asked as he's, you know, bombarded by uh, reporters and different people, how is it that you overcome or overcame so much adversity in your life? How did you keep going? And he pondered upon that for a little bit and he reflected back to a time when he was 12 years old and he had lost a, a skating meet. And his father drove him home and Little Dan Jansen, he said, was sitting in the back and pouting all the way. His father was silent until they arrived home. And then, then as Dan was going to bed, his father just kind of walked into his room and said this, Son, life is more than skating in circles. And walked out. Jansen said that one moment, that one comment, changed his whole perspective on life. Now, he didn't quit skating in circles. He just happened to have a a bigger picture. He had a different perspective. His father's words gave him a different focus on how to look and look upon how he skated life. The reality is that you and I sometimes often feel like we're just skating in circles, don't we? The drudgery of the same old routines can seem to make life seem like that. We get overcome with a earthbound perspective. And life becomes little more than skating in circles. There's a repetitive cycles of of infancy and adolescence and old age, work, rest, more work, marriage, children, grandchildren, diapers, dishes, progress and regress. Dealing with this fallen world. The ups and downs of that. You our perspective can eventually become just like skating life in circles. But we have a Heavenly Father who's given us His Word. Not only has He given us His Word, but He's given us His Son who's changed our life for eternity, but also has come to change our life here and now and to give us a new perspective, a new focus on how we're to live this life out for Christ here and now. And what He wants us to look at when we're skating those circles in life, is He wants us to look at it from a broader perspective and that's a focus that begins in a perspective that begins with heaven bound focus. Or more accurately, even a Christ bound focus. I believe as we open up this passage here in Colossians chapter 3, and over the next three weeks, we're going to look at Colossians 3 1 through 17. And I believe what he is doing here is he's urging us to live out the new reality that we have in Christ. And he's going to give us some steps to focus our life, but also to follow through and carrying out that life. And what I want us to do with you this morning is I want to cover just four verses with you. To begin to give you a, a eternal perspective and an eternal focus that will begin to enable you to live out the new life that you have in Christ. And to live life with an eternal perspective and not just an earthly perspective. Before we do that, let me begin to set out the, the background for me. So look in there in the text with me. Colossians 3, verse 1. It says, Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, now whenever you see the therefore... You always got to see what it's there for. You got to see what is the context. He's saying, therefore, well, what's there for? And so when we look at and we back up, what we see happening in the church here in Colossia, Colossia is that this was a group of believers who were being attacked by all kinds of false beliefs or what we might say additions to faith in Christ. There are various groups saying that, you know, Christ is okay, but you need to, there's some other things that you need to add to your relationship with Christ. Some suggested ritualistic legalism, others supposed a a higher mystical experience outside of Christ. Some had harsh physical practices, absent of any real inner spiritual change. And all these forces were, were pressing down on the believers there in Colossae, kind of taking their focus off the person of Jesus Christ. And so Paul, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writes this epistle to them, and he spends the first two chapters of, of the epistle to the Colossians focusing on the reality that Christ is enough. That Christ alone needs to be your focus and your perspective and outlook on life. He begins in chapter 1 and he, he, he gives these truths of how Christ is superior over all other ways, all other things. He makes the case of the superiority of Christ because Christ is the creator of all things. And not only is He the creator of all things, but He sustains all things. All things are under His control. We have life, its very self. Earth doesn't spin off its axis because of Christ and His sustaining power. And He is eternal. And therefore, Paul makes the case that Christ should have first place in our lives. Christ is enough. He's superior. Then in chapter 2, Paul begins to state the truth that Christ is sufficient in providing every need that you have for life and godliness. That is, it's through Christ that the believers have everything they need for salvation and the progressive sanctification for this life, the living out. It is the, the saving of, our, of ourselves from our sin and death, but also the, the ability and the power to live out holiness here and now. And he makes the case that outside of Christ, we need no additions. Christ is enough. But starting in chapter 3, Paul kind of begins to make that, that turn that he typically does. He turns from the positional truths, which are vital to our lives, to the actual living out of those truths in the everyday life that we live here on earth. And so he begins this turn by making a statement, therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, he's calling back to a truth that he had just taught about, a positional truth. He speaks of the recipients here as being raised up with Christ. It speaks of that to be raised up with Christ. Speaks of that mystical union that occurs. It's uh, we we know it's true, but we can't fully quite grasp it. But that's that mystical mystical union that occurs between a true believer in Christ and Christ Himself. It's see, it's, it's in the redemptive program of God. God always sees. The converted sinner in Christ, he always sees that whatever Christ has done has been done in the believer. Let me, let me put it to you this way. I have these glasses right now. These are actually my backup glasses, and they're, they're awful. I've got, a, I've got a crack in them. Some kind of chemical things made spots that come all over them. And, and when I look at these things, things just don't look as, I mean, you're a nice looking guy, I know you are in reality, but when I look through here, it looks different. And so I can't wait until I, which by the way, my glasses are done, and I, I'm going to get them on Monday, where I get those new glasses and I put them on and I see things clearly. And in one sense, when we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, it's it's as if uh, the glasses of the old glasses are taken off and And God begins to see us through a new pair of glasses, and those glasses are Christ Jesus. And so when God looks at us, He no longer sees us as as we once were, but He sees us through the lenses of the person and the work of Jesus Christ. He sees us as new. He sees us as having new life in Jesus Christ. Now go back just to Colossians chapter 2, and I want to show you where this is is at. It's in Colossians 2, verses 12 through 14. This is what he's hearkening on. When he says, therefore, you've been raised up with Christ, he's particularly speaking of these verses. Verses Colossians 2.12 says, having been buried with him in baptism, he's not speaking of water baptism, but he's speaking of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which I believe is that work of the Spirit that places us into Christ and Christ into us. It's a spiritual baptism where we are identified with Christ in his death. Notice here, because we've been buried with him. We're identified with Christ in His death. So His death counts for us. Remember the wages of sin is death? Guess what? Because we put our faith and trust in Christ, the death that we deserve to pay, God identifies Christ's death with us. We don't have to die. We don't have to be separated from God. Because Christ has died for us. We've been buried with Him in baptism in which you were also raised up with Him that is, not only did Christ die, but as we all celebrate around Easter, He resurrected. And that, so you and I no longer have to worry about death in the sense of separation from God, nor do we have to worry about someday that we're, that we're going to go on and never be raised up again. But because Christ has been raised from the grave, we too, the Bible promises us, we will be raised from the grave. That is, someday we'll not just go on as just some spirit beings out there. But someday our body will actually be resurrected and made in the likeness of Christ. It will be raised up. And we'll be with Him and reign with Him for eternity. Then the verse goes on. Through faith in the working of God. This is, this is received through faith. We don't do anything for it. The experience of this union is gained when we put our faith and our trust in the person and work of Jesus Christ, who raised Him from the dead. When you were dead in your transgressions and uncircumcision of your flesh, He made you alive together with Him. That is, He gave us spiritual life. We are made alive. That is, before Christ, we are dead in our sins and trespasses. But when we put our faith and trust in Christ, we're raised up, we're made alive spiritually. We have new life in Christ. So what Paul is doing when he says, therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, he's saying since you have been identified with Christ and you graciously reap all the benefits that go with that, that he has made you alive eternally to a relationship with God, then this should begin to bring new focus to your life. This ought to change the way how you live your life here and now. See, our position with Christ in salvation should affect the way we live. As I was studying this, I was reading a pastor and writer, Warren Wiersbe, and he told the story while attending a convention in Washington, D.C., he happened to turn on the TV and there was a Senate committee hearing over the television. And they were talking about something, about a new ambassador to the United Nations. And uh, it just so happened, this was some time ago, it was the late Senator Hubert Humphrey was making a comment. And the comment that he made and he heard on the television was this. He says, you must remember that in politics, where you stand depends where you sit. In politics, where you stand depends on where you sit. And he, of course, was referring to the political party seating that takes place inside uh, the Senate House. But as Wearsby heard that, he, his mind immediately went to apply that to his position in Christ. And, and he thought to himself, how I stand and walk depends on where I sit. And then he put together with Ephesians chapter 2, 6, which says, I am seated in the heavenlies, with Christ. My question to you is: Is your seating with Christ? The fact that you are now identified in Christ's death, but also resurrection, and you are actually viewed as sitting in heavenly realms with Christ. Does that affect your life now? Does that change the way? Does that change how you stand on things in here on earth? Does that change how you walk? through life, and live life. Because it should. You see, the key to living out life in Christ starts with focus. And the first step in developing a Christ-centered focus must be living in light of our identity with Christ. That is taking who Christ says we are, how He views us, and begin living that in light of that truth in our life. Now, before we leave this first phrase of the verse... I know I'm spending a lot of time on it. I want us to make one more observation. And this is going to give us our second step in developing a Christ-centered focus. Notice what it says there. Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, I want you to notice that that preposition if. This is what uh, Greek grammarians call a uh, first-class condition clause. All right, You don't have to take notes on that. Just take my word for it. It's what they call that. And and what it means is it was a way of talking, uh, particularly in the Greek, where they talked in a way that assumed something to be true for the sake of an argument. And then whether that was really true or not was developed by the the later context of of the rest of of the writing, which the later context here in Colossians makes it true that it is true that who Paul is writing to, they have been raised up with Christ so the assumption is true in this case. But as I speak to you here this morning, I cannot and do not want to make the assumption that you have been raised with Christ. So my question to you this morning is, have you been raised up with Christ? This is an extremely important question. You can never, in any way, shape, or form, live out life in Christ. You can never develop a Christ-centered focus for your life if you have never truly come to put your faith and your trust in the person of Jesus Christ. Making sure you have been truly raised up with Christ is imperative. My question to you is, have you come to some point in your life where you have realized that you are a sinner, a sinner, that you can absolutely not save yourself. Have you, have you turned away from any thought of how you can save yourself and, and change direction and have you put your faith and trust in the person of Jesus Christ who is the God-man? He's not just any man, but He's the God-man. Man, he is god sent down who has took on human flesh, who died in our place a perfect death, He was buried and risen again. Do you believe in that person and the work that he has accomplished by you? Have you put your faith and trust in the person and work of Christ? In Christ alone? If you have, then you've been raised with Christ. If you have not, if you're trusting in Christ and some other things, or if you're trusting other things, or if you're just trusting in yourself to save yourself, if you're trusting in church, you're not raised with Christ. Your faith must be in Christ, in Christ alone. And my my plea for you this morning is if that is the situation that you are in, that the Holy Spirit will convict you where you're at. You will admit that you are a sinner. And that you realize you cannot save yourself, and you will turn and place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone. So you can enjoy your new identity in Him And you, too, can be said, since you have been raised with Christ. Now, the third step here in developing a Christ-centered focus is in the rest of the verse here. He says, therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Now, these words, keep seeking, means to seek or to strive for earnestly. And notice, it's it's a command here. This is an imperative command. We are to fix our attention decisively and diligently on the things above. And notice, how long are we to seek these things? Look at the text. How long are we to seek seek these things? What does it say? Keep. Keep. It's it's a continuous command. This is not just a one-time command. Just once turn and seek the things above. But this is a way of life that he's talking about here. We're to continuously, we're not to stop, but we're to, as indicates in the present imperative here, to continually keep seeking the things above. This should be the focus of our life. Now this begs the question, what are the things above and, and why seek these things well, first, the things above are not merely material things of heaven. We're not, we're not seeking after heavenly geography. This is made clear by the greater context of, of Colossians 3 when it talks about what we're to put on, the life that we're to live. So it's not talking about just heavenly geography. Not that there's anything wrong with that. Not that you shouldn't look forward to those things. matter of fact, I may have told you this story before. But there, there was this, this, this uh, lady whom I, I pastored uh, back in Missouri. She had a, a grandmother who was like in her upper 80s or 90s and lived in a nursing home. And uh, she had gotten to the point in her life that uh, every day she would, uh, she would, when she would wake up, she would kind of look around and take a gaze at everything. And then when she realized she was still here on earth, she would go, Oh, I'm not in heaven yet. There's nothing wrong with that. That's good. But when when Christ talks about, when His Word talks about, keep seeking the things above, notice what it says after that. Who, Who particularly is there? That's right. It says keep seeking the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. To be seated at the right hand of God is a, a place of honor. It's a place of majesty, power, and authority. And again, it speaks of the supremacy of Christ. So I believe when we look at this imperative here, this had, to be seated at the right hand of God has, has less to do with about gaining uh, just the geography of heaven, but it has more to do with the person of heaven. Jesus Christ. In Colossians 3, 1, He is calling us who have been raised up with Christ to become focused on Christ and His reign in our lives is what He's calling upon. That is, means we are to look to Christ to provide direction for our everyday living. Well, why do we do this? Well, we go back to our identity in Christ. Why? Why would we do this? Well, Ephesians 2, 6, as I mentioned earlier, says, And God raises us up with Christ... And seat us with Him in heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. As we've actually, God envisions us already, though we're not there yet, He envisions us reigning with Him already in heaven. That's how He views us. And He says in Philippians 3.20, Paul writes this, For our citizenship is in heaven. That is, you and I, our citizenship, we, I mean, we have citizenship to the United States, but really... That's not where it's at. You and I are really just ambassadors, just representatives, just passing through this earth. Our real home, our real citizenship is with Christ in heaven for eternity. That's where it's at. And if we are citizens of heaven, then we should be focusing on Christ, our King, to give us the marching orders for our lives here and now, shouldn't we? That is, to seek the things above means we become preoccupied with the person of Jesus Christ. And not only with this person, but his plans and his provisions for and his power for this life here. As we become preoccupied with his spiritual values, that is, the values of Christ ought to begin to characterize our values. We ought to begin to see all things, all people, and events in this world through the eyes of Christ and His eternal perspective. That ought to be our focus. That's what it means to seek the things above. It's just like what uh, Christ said in uh, Matthew 6.33, but seek first His kingdom and His righteousness. That's what we're being called to here we're called to set our minds and our focus upon the kingdom of God and His righteousness in our lives. Is that your focus? Is His kingdom and His righteousness the focus of your life? Well, how do we go about that? It's a question I have to ask myself often. How do we go about that? Well, I think we see the answer there in verse 2. Verse two, it says this, set your minds on the things above, not on the things that are on earth. So he goes from seeking the things above to say, set your minds on the things above. Again, with seeking, we're we're, we're, speaking of striving. But when he comes to setting, he's speaking of concentration. So there's, there's there's this ongoing aspect of our life or our continual focus is being poured towards Christ. And then it comes in this aspect of concentration, of concentrating and thinking upon the things above too. That affects our minds. Literally, the, the translation for this can be keep on thinking or, or thinking as a matter of a habit on things above, not on things of earth. Again, it's, a, it's an ongoing aspect. Ken Hughes tells the story of playing catch with a, with a dog named Bozy. After about uh, spending 45 minutes tossing the ball for Bozy, uh, Kent Hughes concluded that when she dies, an autopsy would reveal that a tennis ball was on her brain. Bozy would sleep with her tennis ball. She carries it to her water dish and can, can find it wherever it is thrown. Bozy goes after that tennis ball. Her mind is constantly set on the tennis ball. Now, I would have loved to have told this story about my dog, Bud. Guess what? My dog, Bud, doesn't do that. Matter of fact, I go out with my dog, Bud, and I, and I throw the ball about five times, and he stops and he looks at me. And the ball drops. And he says, Matt, we live in Texas and it's hot. That's, that's his little words, alright? And then he walks off and he goes over and he lays down on the coolest cements. His mind is not set on the tennis ball. You and I got to ask ourselves, are we Bozy or are we Bud? I don't know about you, but oftentimes I've been in Bud's place when it comes to the things of Christ. I'll play catch with it for a little while. Then I'll look at it and say, "Ah, that's enough. It's gotten too hot. I'm dropping it. That's not how Christ calls us to approach Him. He calls us to seek the things above and then to set our minds on the things above. To set them on Him. And when we die, hopefully the autopsy, the x-ray that will be seen in our brain is the person of Christ. You see, we are called to set our minds on the things above. That means as followers of Christ, We bring the reign of Christ and the purpose of Christ to bear in everything we do. Everything we do is filtered through Christ's thoughts about life and eternity. We respond to things on earth from a heavenly perspective, not an earthly temporal perspective. We're continually thinking upon Christ and His marching orders for us. You see, our thoughts influence our actions. What we think upon, what we set our minds upon, are the things that we act upon. True? True. And next week, I'm going to give you some steps of follow-through to live out the life of Christ further. But if you skip this step, the next steps won't help you. You need to seek and then you need to set your minds on the things above. Because thoughts influence, influence actions. Now, what, what does God use to help get our minds on the things above? And I'm just going to give you these real quickly here. The major thing that He gives us first is truth that transforms. It is His Scriptures. It is to think Christ's thoughts in our lives, to set our minds on the things of Christ, we have to go to the very written words of Christ. 2 Timothy 3.16 says this, All Scripture is inspired by God. That is, it's literally, it's God-breathed and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. That is, you want to know how to live out the life of Christ? God's saying, I have everything that you need in My Word to help you. And I'm not talking, when I talk about this, Let me stress something to you. I'm not just talking about the fleeting fleeting thoughts. Every once in a while, well, it's Sunday, so I'll read something here. Okay? I'm talking about a persistency. This is God's breathed Word, folks. It's not a Jane Austen book. Okay? And I know you ladies love to read those books. Just admit it, because i got a wife in my home that does. Don't tell her I said this. Okay? But let me tell you something. This Word will give you a lot more than Jane Austen's books ever can. We need truth that transforms. Second, I'm going to say tithes and offerings. You say, why that? There's a verse in Matthew 6.21 that says this, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So I say tithes and offerings. You see, the things that we invest in, and we don't push real hard on here uh, talking about finances and all those things, but they matter because where you invest your treasures, your heart and your mind follow after. You're interested at it. You start writing a check somewhere. You start checking out. Hey, what, what's going on? Tithes and offerings. Second or third. Their are trials. I believe God uses trials in our lives to keep us focused on the things above. To set our minds on the things above. Without trials, we become so, we become numb to the sinful world we live in. We become consumed by this temporal stuff. But when difficulty comes in your life, you start thinking about eternal things, don't you? I fact, I'll follow this up with number four. The transfer of loved ones in Christ. I think God uses the death of our loved ones even to bring greater focus and save our minds upon Him. He did with my father. When my father died five years ago, that brings a whole new world of perspective to your life. You think a lot harder about what your mind is set upon and why you're doing the things you're doing. Last, there's trust-filled prayer. We cannot approach the setting of our minds on things above in our own power. It requires trust-filled prayer. I know of one man who begins every day. Every day, he slips out of the bed and he falls to the floor, not just because he's tired like I am. I'm not an early morning riser. I I slip out of bed and fall because I'm still tired. But this man would slip out of bed and he he would prostrate himself on on his face on the floor. And he would pray, Lord, may your, may your cross always be before me and behind me and all around me. And the reason he did that was he wanted to focus his life that morning on the cross of Jesus Christ. One of the practices I've developed in my own spiritual life is that I realized there are three major temptations in our lives that we need power and strength from Christ to overcome. One is the, is the devil himself. The other is um, our, our own flesh And then the last one is the world. And one of the ways that I pray is I I come and as I approach the Lord, I say, Lord, You have to empower me against the temptations of this world, this, this temporal place and these temporal things. And You have got to help me to seek the things above and to set my mind on the things above where You are. What Your plans and Your purposes are in my life. And I've got to ask Him for that. Every day. Sometimes throughout the day. You need to seek Him in trust-filled prayer. Now with such strong commands, Paul knows his readers need some motivation to develop such a focus or mindset. So he gives them two here real quickly here in verses 3 and 4. And he goes back again to their identity in Christ. Look what he says there in verse 3. For you have died and your life is hidden With Christ in God. He said, I know this this is a tall order for you to set your mind on the things above. But what I want you to do is I want you to be remembering your new position of security in Christ. What, What he says here is he says, remember, you have died. In essence, he wants you to remember that what you owe for your sin, the payment that you ought to owe, eternal separation from me, which is really death, You've already died to that in Christ. It's already been accomplished for you. Your salvation has already been done and worked for and accomplished in the person of Jesus Christ. Remember that when I call you to set your minds on the things above. And when I call you to do that, remember the salvation that's been accomplished for you. What you don't have to pay. And then he says this, and I love this phrase. And your life is hidden with Christ's in God. Get that. Your life, those of you who have been raised up with Christ, those of us who have experienced that, your life is hidden with Christ. That speaks of security. As you know, I have three children. And all three of my children have gone through this. When when they're out with Dad and a stranger comes up, what do most children usually do? They come and they get behind their, their, their father, don't they? And that's kind of an exhilarating experience as a father, isn't it? That you say, wow, this, this child is taking, uh, he's hiding behind me and seeking me for security. The reality is what, what God wants us to have a picture of is that our life is hidden with Christ in God. That in essence... We are going to fear many things in this world. We may be feel fear the loss of our salvation, we may fear all kinds of trials and things that are going on and attacks from, from the devil, our own flesh and other things. But he wants you to know, he wants you to be reminded that your life is hidden with Christ in God, that all you, you are already right behind him, and he's not going anywhere. No one will ever pluck you out of his hands. your life is hidden in Christ. There's security in that, folks. And he wants them to remember that. And then he also wants them to remember something else. I think when we see that your, your life is hidden with Christ, and in, in, in also with this, the phrase that comes in verse 4 where it says, your life, He is our life, where it says when Christ, who is our life, I think that also indicates, or hints at at least, satisfaction. I think he wants them to remember that that first of all, there's security in Christ because your, high, your life is hidden in Christ. But Christ, who is our life, get that. That is, our very life is the person of Christ. He wants us to re- realize that there is great satisfaction in that because John 17.3 says this, This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom have you sent. That's eternal life, folks. Eternal life is not just a ride on a puffy cloud, all right? Just in case you were thinking that. Cross that off. It's not just that, all right? But it's being in relationship with the God of this universe for eternity. To know Him. That is our very life. And there is great satisfaction in that. We will be satisfied for eternity with that. And so seek That satisfaction here and now as you live out Christ, as you seek the things above, as you set your mind on the things above. And then last, he motivates us to this life in verse four. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. He knows that setting your minds on the things above is going to be tough. He knows it's going to be a battle. But what He wants you to know, that though it's a battle, He has won the war. That He is coming back again. That He is going to appear again here. And there's great comfort in that. Not only that, when Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with Him in glory. That verb appear means to make visible what is invisible. That is, when Christ returns, the real position of the believer will be made even more visible because when He returns and He gives us a new body, we'll have a body that will act in correspondence with our real identity in Christ. Philippians 3 says this, uh, verse 20, For our citizenship is in heaven, for which also we eagerly wait for our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of His glory by the exertion of the power that He has even to subject all things to Himself. He reminds them, I want you to be looking forward to the return of Christ and the experience of the completion of your glorification of your identity with Christ. I want you to look forward to that. Those are the things that await you as now you set your minds, as you seek the things above. There's great comfort in that, folks. With such a future already guaranteed, let us make our lives about seeking and setting our minds on things above. In an article in a San Francisco newspaper, it reported about a young man who once found a $5 bill on the streets And he resolved from that point on in his life that he would never lift up his eyes again, but that he would continually go and walk around the city of San Francisco uh, looking with his eyes set on on where he was on the ground, where he was walking. The paper went on to say, here's what he accumulated, among other things. He he accumulated 29,516 buttons, 54,172 pins, Twelve cents, a bent back, and a miserly disposition. And what he traded in was the glory of sunlight, the radiance of the stars, the smile of friends, and the freshness of blue skies. And I tell you this because when we as believers become consumed with the temporal things of this world, I'm not saying these things are wrong. It's not that you can't have them. But if you don't look to Christ and set your minds on the things above to bring the meaning the purpose to these things, you're going to be left missing out on the joy of the real new life in Christ. You're going to ha- end up with a miserly disposition when, when you're, if you're just consumed with the things of this earth and missing out on accumulating the treasures of heaven. The eternal things that matter and have real weight. Here's my exhortation for us. May we not miss out on such heavenly joy and pleasure in our lives. May we seek to begin to live out the new life in Christ by setting our minds, by seeking the things above and setting our minds on the purpose and plans of Christ. Amen. Let's pray. Dear God, I come... And I pray, Lord, Lord, we thank You for Your truth that it sometimes is very cutting, but Lord, we need it. Lord, I pray for anyone here that is here this morning that... uh, you will help them, Lord, that if they realize that they are, have never put their faith and trust in You, Lord, that this morning they will realize that they cannot save themselves, but they must turn to put their faith and their trust in Jesus Christ and Christ alone for salvation. Lord, I pray that You will help people, that they will really seek to examine where they stand with You, Lord, I pray for those who have been raised with Christ, myself included. And Lord, as we seek and as we hear these commands to uh, to set our, our minds on you, Lord, may we come and may we fall on our face and may we seek after you for your help and your empowerment to live this truth out in our life. And Lord, as we do, as we seek to live these truths out, Lord, I pray that you will use our lives to bring great glory and honor to you, Lord. Because Lord, we know that when you are glorified, we reap great benefits and great enjoyment from that. Lord, so we thank you and we praise you. May you, Lord, Be all that we desire. May you be the passion of our life, Lord.